Guys, let me open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, we uh, are given a new day, a new dawn, uh, a new year. As uh, you uh, have uh, desired for us to be conformed to your image. Lord, I pray that uh, as we know and understand trials and tribulations, that we are going to have these. How do we respond to this? Lord, we want to please you. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you in everything that we say and do. So I pray that this lesson will open our hearts, draw our ears, minds uh, closer to you, and again, be conformed to your image. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so... Everyone have an outline? Gary has been passing those out. If you don't have an outline, please raise your hand. $5. (laughs) Yeah, that will be, yeah, that, yeah, no, Gary. (laughs) All right, so let's get started on some of these things that I have on the outline. Uh, What I'm also going to do today is, it's going to be a little bit interactive. Uh, So there's going to be a couple of questions at the end of a couple of these different areas into where then I want to open that up. Uh, and and have that for topic of discussion. So as we go through trials and tribulations, we have to know and understand and how we should be responding to those. In John 16, 33, it says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may know and have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let me start with a story. It's interesting. On September 5th, 1861, a man married his wife in Chicago. This man was a lawyer and a senior partner in a large law firm and were supporters and friends of evangelist Dwight L. Moody. This man invested in real estate north of Chicago in the spring of 1871. However, in October 1871, the Great Fire of Chicago reduced the city to ashes, and consequently destroyed most of his investment. Two years after that great Chicago fire, his family planned a trip to Europe. Business demands, such as zoning issues that are arising from that situation, kept uh, this man from joining his wife and four daughters on that family vacation to England, where his friend, Dwight Moody, was preaching. On November 22, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on the steamship Ville du Havre, probably really hacked that because I don't speak French, the ship was struck by an iron sailing vessel killing 226 people, including all four of his daughters. Annie, that's our granddaughter's name, age 12, she's not 12 yet, Maggie, seven, Bessie, four, and 18-month-old Tanetta. His wife survived the tragedy, and upon arriving in Cardiff, Wales, she sent a telegram to her husband that read, Saved Alone. Who is this man? Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford. As he traveled to meet his grieving wife, And he was inspired to write, It is well with my soul, as his ship passed where his daughters had died. So every time that we sing that song, which we do, now you know the rest of that story. But you I will share the later part of that and and what has happened. But following the sinking of that ship, his wife gave birth to three more children. Their son, who is four, died of scarlet fever. This final tragedy began Spafford's move away from material success toward a lifelong spiritual pilgrimage. So why do we undergo trials and tribulations? And why do we face these? And most importantly, how do we embrace these things? And how do we respond to them? Today, as I mentioned, I want to discuss ways that we can or will experience trials, tribulations, how we can perhaps respond in a sinful way a few examples of godly men and their responses to trials, and then how we should be responding in a biblical way. Remember, this is not going to be entirely exhaustive, but I think it will capture the theme of essence of the outline and the topic this morning. All right, so definitions. 
Well, a trial, tribulation, kind of all the same. All right, so definition of a trial. A person, thing, or situation that tests a person's endurance or forbearance. And a tribulation, a cause or state of great trouble or suffering, distress, or suffering resulting from oppression or persecution. This also could be a trying experience. So why do we experience these things? Well, one, we see, especially with Scripture, it's with our sanctification, and it could be our encouragement to others, or not, with a positive or a negative testimony. So how we respond to a trial or a tribulation, people are always going to be seeing and observing that. So if we respond in a biblical way, that can certainly encourage someone in a positive way. But if we're responding to those things in a negative way, well, then that we know what the result on that is as well. All right, a mystery of God's way. You follow in your outline. You've got a couple of those fill in the blanks. A mystery of God's way. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Has anyone ever undergone a trial or tribulation like, why, Lord? Why? Why is this happening to me? Rather than flipping it around is, why not me? Uh, one question for you. What was the, you go with the first part of Yeah, the first one is our sanctification and encouragement to others or not, with a positive or negative testimony. The second one, a mystery of God's way. There are sometimes these situations where we will experience a trial or tribulation to where we will never know the true or real answer as to why and what has, why the Lord does what he does in, in our life. Okay, so the next one, rely not on ourselves, but on God. Rely not on ourselves, but on God. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Before we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So be affliction, and we'll talk about this in a little while, on... Well, why do these things happen to me? All right, trials and suffering, on your next bullet point, trials and suffering are part of, a li- of living in a fallen world. You can take a look at Genesis 3, verses 14 to 19, and Job 5 to 7. And I'll just read Job 5 to 7. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. So we know because of a fallen world that we are going to have these. Even in that John 16, 33, and what I had mentioned at the beginning is, expect it. We're going to have them. All right, the other one, next one. Sometimes these trials and tribulations could be sometimes because of our wrongdoing. Let me read a scripture, 1 Peter, well, the, the reference, 1 Peter 4, verse 15. Trouble stemming from lawless actions obviously does not constitute suffering for righteousness. So if we sin, we have no right to complain about being punished, nor any right to expect the Spirit's grace. Behavior has consequences. So, for example, if a person drives recklessly in a school zone while the yellow lights are flashing at 7.45 in the morning in that 20-mile-an-hour school zone, and receives a very costly ticket, that, of course, is a consequence to that behavior. A person should not expect grace because of that action. All right, next bullet point. Who is the ruler of the earth? And we know what he and his demons do. They are rulers of the earth and active. They are active in creating suffering, chaos, and havoc. This is a fallen world. And you just refer back to Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you can certainly see on what God had allowed because of what Satan roams the earth 
and what he is permitted to do while he is the ruler of this current earth. Next bullet point. God's ultimate plan is the redemption of humanity and the creation. God's ultimate plan is the redemption of humanity and the creation. The scripture reference there is Romans 8, 18 to 25. We know in the next bullet point, it is always meant for our good. It is always meant for our good. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Another reason, why do these things happen? To conform his people to the image of Christ. To conform his people to the image of Christ. Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, and I'll read that in just a moment, our faith is validated and tested by trials and is made stronger. Our faith is validated and tested by trials and is made stronger. So in that scripture, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The next bullet point, suffering also reveals what we really love. Suffering also reveals what we really love. In Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And I'll say that's figurative speech, but really... Do you have an alliance or an allegiance more to your father or your mother or your siblings more than to Jesus Christ? That's what he's saying is that he is the one that is worthy. He is the one, one to be worshipped. You forsake all of those things to exalt him, and he has to be, and he is the Lord uh, of, of life. If we can't do that, then we're not his disciple. So do we love a spouse more than we love God? Do we love an, an object, uh, a material object? Do we love a relationship more than a relationship that we do with God? We need to make sure that our hearts are right and placed in the center of where what the God has and that we are exalting Him. <clears throat> Next bullet point. It teaches us to value the blessing of God, and that we can trust Him. It teaches us to value the blessing of God and that we can trust Him. Psalm 63, 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So if you are undergoing a trial or tribulation, is that easy scripture? To not only read, but then to adhere, to, to do, to apply. There's other scripture, too, that we'll go through, but when you're going through a trial and tribulation, it, it's certainly not uh, you know, floating down the river of life, you know, down Easy Street, either. It, it's hard, but we do have hard things, and we know that we will have these tri uh, trials and tribulations. Garrett Cal recently said, Some say God doesn't give you more than you can bear. We know this isn't true. God graciously overwhelms us to remind us that He alone is sufficient. Ways we can and will experience trials and tribulations, and you're following along in your outline. All right, so what ways can we or will we experience trials and tribulations? Remember, we're promised these things. Financial, 
There are sometimes some of those things might be because of wrong decisions that we have made. It may not be necessarily because of proper stewardship to where then that can be that consequence. But even through that, the Lord can be teaching us a lot of these things. What about sickness? And we were talking just a moment ago is, you know, I got tears of joy, but it's like, well, my eyes are watering because of the cedar, right? We all know that cedar suffers in South Texas at this time of the year. Uh, we are reaping tears of joy uh, because in everything give thanks uh, because we know that God has created all of those things. But in sickness, what about a chronic illness? What about on how and where that our bodies start wearing out? Um, I, I can uh, tell you even from this morning that I was sharing with my wife, Laura, that uh, I've been blessed with an opportunity to paint um, an 1,800 square foot home. Um, uh, for an employment opportunity uh, to, to uh, you know, gather some income. So ceilings, walls, doors, door casings, trim, and then with lights. And I do feel like that karate kid with that lesson, right? You know, wax on, wax off, and with the hammer. Well, there is chronic use to where that my body is wearing out because I do have a... Um, either a muscle strain or I pulled something, but I mean it hurts to be able to even do that. That's chronic right now until some of those things go away. Well, 30 years ago, I wouldn't have that. Can anyone say amen to that? <laughs> yeah, all right, here we know, right? So some of those chronic things that we have to go through and, and endure, right? Remember, that's what we have here on earth. What about marital strife or divorce? That'd be a trial and tribulation. Those are difficult things, very difficult things. What about wayward children or family members and go through a trial? Nothing is worse than having anguish to where you have a wayward child that you continue to pray for them and you are driven to your knees and say, you can't control that, only our sovereign God can, to where you pray for their salvation and to where then in the Lord's timing that they will come back or even with a family member that can oppose you and with your faith. We just went through a number of holidays. I'm sure that everyone here has perfect families and family situations, and there's no arguing or bickering or anything else. Everyone is always cohesive during the holidays, especially when topics so that can be uncomfortable, but especially then including then even as you talk about your faith and you talk about what the Lord is doing. We know that there are family members that are vehemently opposed to any and all of, of those things. What about job loss, unemployment, work issues, a boss? I think that we all can know and understand that. I certainly can know and have testimony for that. What about caregiving? Your caregiving of a, of a family member, including a, even a parent? or your husband, or your wife, whoever that might be. That's a trial. Laura took care of uh, her dad for eight and a half years, and there's times to where it was stop, drop, and roll. You know, he was in the ICU four times in one year, plus then other things. And where then we had plans that we're working on things that we're wanting to do, uh, just personally, you know, like, nope, he's now in the ICU, stop, drop, and then now start focusing on, on those things. Like, when and how long will that be? But as we're called to honor our father and mother, is like, at what cost? At what cost are we willing to be obedient to Christ? It doesn't say, as well, when we get around to it or when we feel like doing some of these things, is here's the command, here's what we need to do, and we need to do it faithfully. And as we'll talk about on how we can and should be doing these things in a biblical response and in, in, in that manner. What about rejection? Just flat-out rejection. You, you share your faith with family members or uh, with co-workers or, um, say, a neighbor right next door. You're sharing your faith, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to talk to you. I, I, have, I don't want anything to do with you. Please don't speak to me ever again. Well, it can be a trial. You're like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to do it all the more. You're going to speak the truth in love. But that rejection can certainly be a trial. As I had mentioned, death and loss. I know that even in, in this room here, that we have the death of spouses. 
that's a hard thing, especially when you've been <clears throat> with a partner for decades. The Lord knows, and He is there for you when you're going through that. That includes even with a miscarriage. You know, for, for younger women that have, or maybe there's some here that when in childbearing age that had to go through a miscarriage. That's a hard thing as a hard trial as well because we value life and what God has given us. Singleness. And of course, as I was mentioning earlier, is with death of with a spouse, but it could be a result of a, of a divorce, but not even any of these occurring. You know, I long to be married and having that singleness in the trial. They just be patient on the Lord, and if that is His will for you, for marriage, and, and uh, subsequently, you know, with that, with His plan, that's where you have to trust Him. Lord, those things we may not understand, we don't understand in the timing, but we have to work, live by faith, and we have to trust Him for that. What about weather? I'll talk about that in a moment. And then another one, anything that's not going our way. Really? Yeah. Anything that's not going our way. All right, what else could be added to this list? <laughs> that, that last one, anything not going our way? Yeah, really a, a catch-all because, yeah, it does summarize everything. Yeah, on, on all of those bullet points that we, that we have. And, and again, it's the why me, Lord, is why not me, Lord. Because we need to know and understand that what is the Lord teaching us or what is he about to teach us as we go through those trials and tribulations. All right, sinful responses to trials and tribulations. I also put it in, say, circumstances, but, you know, some of those are really part of the tribulations. All right, that sense of entitlement. There's a, well, you owe me, or, or I deserve. You know, like, well, that's a marketing ploy. You just read or look at a commercial on TV. You deserve that. I love that prosperity gospel. Okay, prosperity gospel, if I include on that. All right, another one, uh, sinful responses, is fear. Right? You're going to be fearful of something that could be uh, occurring. So you stand up for what you know is what is right and what is true. And you're like, well, am I going to go there? I mean, there, there is a binary decision really to be made. It's a yes or no, especially then, in, and I can attest to this. I've been in two different situations to where then I was asked to do things that were clearly not on what God wants us to do. So the question is, in, in what I had to do is take a look at, you know, like, okay, well, am I just going to kind of go away and not really communicate or do this? And like, no, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is who I am, and this is who I am, a disciple of Him. I'm a follower of Christ, a Christian. Then I need to be obedient to His Word. In one situation, a little more than 20 years ago, I was asked to promote a product that is clearly against God's Word. And I made the appeals to um, my, my boss, uh, up the flagpole, back down. No, we can't do these two things. I said, okay, thank you. So I made the, the right appeal, you know, in a quiet manner. It was that one-to-one -one person <clears throat> with my boss. But then I had asked him, and, and, you know, I'm dating myself 20 years ago. Would you like that resignation letter and a fax? An email? The phone call? How would you like that? And so, I mean, I was prepared to, I mean, I fully resigned with no job lined up. And even at that time, then, when I was interviewing for another company, people were incredulous, like, who in their right mind is going to resign from a job when you don't have something lined up? Like, but we walk by faith and not by sight. And, and some of y'all remember that way back in, in that day. Well, just recently, eight months ago, that I was asked to do things, including lie, and I'm like, I'm not doing that, and, and I resigned. So for eight months, I've been continuing to look for a job, and God, through his faithfulness, through all of the different ways, including prayer by so many of y'all, um, I am now gainfully employed, and I start on the 16th. But... 
So, so praise the Lord. But it could be another year. It could be two years to where I'd still be unemployed. Then, like, I, I am going to be faithful, and I'm not going to have fear or the next bullet point, anxiety. Well, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to be able to do that? How any of those things we have with fear and anxiety, they can be really intertwined to where then those are those things and where we can remind ourselves in Scripture and what it says and how we should be responding, and we'll talk about that. What about another way? Anger. Why is this happening? Or I need to be shaking the fist at God. Why is this happening to me? And that's just one example. There are going to be many other ways that we can be responding in anger. It be to the person who uh, mistreated us. Whatever that might be. Doubting. Man, I don't know how. Which really, that can be intertwined with that fear and that anxiety. Frustration. It'd be frustration. And why is do we get frustrated at, at some things? Not going our way. Not going our way. Exactly, right? Refer back to that final bullet point in, in that last part of the outline. It's not going our way. What we're anticipating, what we're thinking, what we're envisioning, like, hey, this is my plan. Remember, then it goes back into that scripture. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. And so that's where we can get really frustrated because as we want to move things forward... Yeah, we need to have a plan, but remember, <clears throat> the, man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps, right? So, so we can plan, and we need to plan. We need to have a plan. We don't know where we're going. Chances are we're not going to get there. So we do need to have a plan, but those things can be fluid and dynamic as the Lord leads and, and how he, he uh, does that. Right along with that frustration, to be really impatient. Right? It's like, come on, I need this to happen like now. You know, anyone pray for uh, the, the prayer, Lord, I pray for patience and I want it now? <laughs> yeah, we need to check on that prayer and, and how we need to redefine and, and reword that. Grieved, First Peter 1 Peter 1.6. You know, we can be grieved over, over something. And then complaining, um, you know, in Exodus. <laughs> you take a look at Exodus and where then God and his faithful promise to his people led them out, and then what did they do? They complain. I don't have enough food. Well, it's not what kind of food. It's, well, I don't have, I don't have meat. I don't have that. I don't have that. And so then, you know, whether it be, you know, meat or manna, and like the Lord blesses them with an overabundance and to where then it's stacked up, and they're like, and then they're complaining about that. We need to really be checking our attitude, especially then with complaining. We really need to guard our hearts and, and minds with that. Grumbling, whining, thanklessness are not ultimately the heart's responses to circumstances, but to God. Israel grumbled at their enslavement. They grumbled when Moses came on the scene. They still grumbled as they wandered safely in the wilderness. Their complaining wasn't rooted in their scenery, but of course, it's a heart issue. Remember, it's not them way back then, it's for us as well. <clears throat> a heart of gratitude and thankfulness isn't dependent on our bank statement, our doctor's diagnosis, or the praise you receive for a job well done. Thanklessness and grumbling, regarding, regardless of our situation, even our suffering, can reflect our heart. We know these are sin. Spiritual amnesia is a deadly disease that threatens your faith and your joy more than any cancer. It penetrates to the core and rots your heart from within. Or another one is despair. Despair is a lack of faith and control of the situation, which can be that impatience and, and then also with that frustration. Again, it can be intertwined. Or another one, the almost nonstop litany of disappointment that we spew... In, I'm just going to talk about the weather. <clears throat> about every combination of hot, cold, dry, wet, in a climate that is so favorable for human life, and that does reveal to disconnect. Sin is disconnection or separation from God. Right now, North Americans really, but globally, are separate, separated from God in one of the most destructive and alarming ways our human history has ever seen. You say history repeats our, uh, itself, but you can see in the way the direction of the world is going. But our casual complaints about the weather are just a symptom of this truth. 
Our complaints reveal that our eyes have become clouded to God's blessings. This might sound trivial. It's not. We receive wind and snow and rain and sun and cold as affronts to our personal preferences and disruptions to the plans we would like to be living out. And we fail to see how each of these is a gift in the web of life in which we receive life. Does anyone know the guy, I don't remember his first name, his last name's Carrier? Does anyone know who this guy is? Exactly. He is the inventor of air conditioning. <laughs> Thanks be to God that he gave Carrier the inclination and the mind to be able to create something to where then millions of people, decades later, are able to enjoy an experience. When we had, you know, mid 100, 105 to 110, do you give thanks for that hot weather? It's hard. It is hard to give thanks. But it's what our mindset is. I want to focus on, on these things. It's like, Lord, thank you for air conditioning. Lord, I pray that a lot. Like, Lord, thank you for air conditioning. Thank you that we're comfortable and you provided a comfortable home. Yeah, I can't do the things I would love to do outside. I really love to do a lot of those you know, outside things. Not able to do it. Not able to do it right now because of cedar. We're like, Lord, thank you that it's 62 degrees and I can walk outside and it's comfortable and I don't have to be in air conditioning. I mean, everything is, everything give thanks, but it's our focus, and especially then with the weather. So our complaining about the weather could be added to a long list of resources that we treat with a casual wastefulness. Just this morning I heard in northern Texas has snow. Everything give thanks. Extracting what we need, throwing out what we don't, and never pausing to consider the gift these resources offer us, nor what our duty of care toward these gifts should be. Lack of gratitude translates into a lack of responsibility. So for this reason, complaining about the weather seems more and more emblematic of this entire misreading of the place and purpose of human life. We complain about something which, throughout time, has largely been thought to lie outside of human control. The weather, yes it is. Weather happens, as we know, as God created it and is in control. Remember, it's not about you. Yet as the weather we experience in our world today is always changing all around us, our casual complaints suggest powerlessness in the face of these weather events, even as we hem and haw about whether or not we're going to do anything to address any part of it. Like, Look, God made the weather. He's sovereign. Deal with it, right? But we need to deal with it in a biblical way, in a biblical, biblical response. All right, so what are some other sinful responses to trials and tribulations? Interactive Sunday school class. What are other sinful responses to trials and tribulations? Going, going passive or withdrawing from people, and and how how would that may or may may not be healthy? So why would that be healthy? That's right. Okay. So you know, thank you. In in other ways, by withdrawing and be passive on that, how, how can that be harmful to us? Doesn't help us grow. Okay, good. Self focus. Good. What else? Pity party. Which really then is that focus on self. Right? My needs, my comfort. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Away from the job and not having something lined up, they were uninformed that you feared the Lord over what they thought. 
So that healthy way of of saying being passive or with or really more focused on withdrawing it is and it can be for a time being, right? And a man can sure that our hearts and minds are right. We are meditating on the truth to where then we can respond in a biblical way. So there is a time, but if we do that on a continuum, then that's where it becomes unhealthy. Because then, as I talk about some other things and what we can and should do, especially responding in a biblical way, uh, we'll talk about that. Because then, as a body of believers and how we can love and do the, do the one another's, um, by withdrawing and being passive, that is that that can be that focus on self. So we'll talk about that. All right, very good. All right, so downstream, what are some of these effects effects of our sin and or sinful responses? So say downstream, you have depression, you could have anger or self control issues, you could have anxiety. Well, being in pharmaceuticals, you know, there's one elder that calls me a drug dealer. <laughs> Uh, of the ethical kind, <laughs> um, but but there are drugs for depression, for anxiety, and some of these other things. Let, let me let me be clear on this: that we know that God has hope and in, in His truth. If anyone is on an anti-anxiety or an antidepressant or anything, I'm not telling you to get off. That is between you and your doctor. I can't emphatically say that strongly enough. All right. This is just from that high level on where then if some of these things on how we respond downstream over time, that can change our body chemistry. Another way is that where if we're not eating in a healthy way, well, that can change our body chemistry. We can have increased cholesterol, which then we can have clogged arteries, which then can increase blood pressure, which then can increase, we got to get on a statin. I mean, there's so many things downhill that can affect our health. But just on these things, especially then with, uh, you know, that depression, anger, self-control, and, and that anxiety, it could be the way that we're responding to these trials and tribulations that we have in our life. What do we need to do to put off? And then what do we need to do to put on? And that is really what that focus is, is what does Scripture have to say? What do we need to do to be obedient to what Scripture says as well? So those are those temporary solutions, really, on, on what they have. All right, so what are other ways can sin have an impact on us physically, mentally, or emotionally? Fatigue. Fatigue? Yeah, it can wear you out, right? Because if it's just with that focus on that topic or that thing all the time, yeah, that certainly can wear you out. That's right. It'd be the opposite. Yep. And so, and we talked about with biblical responses later in the outline. That's good because then, it's, yeah, it's that put off and put on. Good. Thank you, Kathy. Proverbs seventeen. Discontentment. Sure. Okay. Good. Anything else? Because we have our plan, right? This is inconvenient for us, and so I'd rather do that rather than doing that hard thing. All right, good. All right, so biblical responses to trials and tribulations. All right, so the question is, are we embracing trials and tribulations to draw closer to God and thank Him for the sanctification? Are we embracing trials and tribulations to draw closer to God and thank Him for this sanctification. God is with us in all situations, 
and circumstances. I still can't find that verse where it says God won't give you more than you can handle. Has anyone found that scripture? Is that Revelation 51, verse 12? Didn't think so. All right. Psalm 119, verses 67, 71, and 75. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter's calling us to have a heavenward focus in this life. Trials will surely come, but we shouldn't be caught off guard. In fact, we know those are the very things that God uses to test our faith. And we're not just to endure these hardships, but actually rejoice in the very suffering we experience, knowing that through suffering hard things in this life, we taste a small portion of the bitter cup Jesus endured when he is hung on the cross for the sake of our sins. God is using this difficulty, these trials and tribulations in our life to shape us to be more like his son. All right, so here's a few biblical examples and how they responded to trials. And this certainly is not exhaustive because we know on a lot of these things on what Jesus had done and had endured, but being cursed, afflicted. What did he pray in the garden? Not your will, but thine, right? His focus was like, my circum- this is my circumstance. This is what God uh, put me on this earth for. I have to endure this. Yeah, he didn't want to do that. I mean, has anyone sweated blood before? I mean, you're praying that hard, and man, these consequences are that hard, and knowing that what you're able to go through. But yet, Jesus was entirely focused on pleasing and honoring his father. Daniel. Man, Daniel and others went to Babylon from Jerusalem, not because he volunteered, but Jerusalem was besieged by Nebuchadnezzar, who was Babylon's king at the time. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And that's Daniel 1.8. Even as he's promoted, and that was in chapter 2, verses 46 to 49, it was commanded that everyone fall down and worship the golden image that the king has set up. And coming up, there will be a cast. If they don't, they'll be cast into a fiery furnace. Everyone pretty much knows this story. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respectfully told the king in Daniel 3, verse 18, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. <coughs> Later on, when Darius was made king, Daniel 5, 31, Daniel was one of the three high officials to oversee the kingdom's 120 satraps. They're like, well, what's a satrap? All right, a satrap was a governor in a province. In, in Daniel 5, 4 through 6, they looked to find a complaint against Daniel with a regard to the kingdom, but they couldn't find any as he was proved faithful. But unless they found in connection with the law of his God. So they tricked Darius, the king at the time, to establish an ordinance and therefore an enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to him shall be cast into a den of lions. King Darius signed the document and injunction. But what was Daniel's response? In Daniel 6.10, after knowing his document has been signed, he went to his house, got on his knees, like he always done, three times a day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. It's like, okay, the situation has now changed, but what was Daniel's response? Unwavering, unchanging. He's like, I'm going to do what I'm always doing, right? Like, in the midst of all this, his focus, hyper-focus, is solely on God and what he 
has called him to do. All right, Job. Job 1. This is an amazing story. You know, material possessions, you know, they come and they go. Satan takes property and children, as described in verses 3 through 20 in chapter 1. But this is an amazing thing. And what a, what a great example on Job's response to this whole thing. When all these people are coming in, oh, hey, by the way, now this happened. No, the next guy, he can't even finish that sentence, and the next person comes in. Oh, hey, this is what happened now, you know, with your possessions and with your family. What did Job do in 20 and 22, in chapter 1? He arose, he tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. Blessed, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So in a trial or a tribulation, are you reminded of Job and his response? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, that is a hard thing, but... He was without sin. That was honoring to God and, and with that. All right, and Paul. Another example. In 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 30. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that will show of my weakness. Yeah, Paul didn't have any physical afflictions and people never chased him around. And again, the guy was hyper-focused on knowing what his mission was, what his role was, what he needed to do, and be exactly humbly obedient to God despite his trials and tribulations because he knew this too shall pass. All right, so biblical responses. We uh, had mentioned just a couple of these, but let's go through these again. <clears throat> so as we focus on God's Word and prayer, there's going to be a byproduct called fruit. We've got to think of how we're going to respond to these trials and tribulations that are pleasing to the Lord. And one scripture, of course, we know is Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And joy, in James 1.22, next bullet point, thankfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in some circumstances. Give Thanks in when you feel like it in some of those circumstances. No, in all circumstances. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and, in, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Another way with biblical response is steadfastness. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And James 5.11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, faith and prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. What a fear of God. Having a high view of Him. Fear not, for I am with you. 
How many times does it appear in the Bible? 365 times. 365 times. Hmm. How many days do we have in a year? This year is 366. Yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah, leap year. I knew that was coming. Normally, in a non-leap year, it is 360. What you, there's no coincidence for that. By God's design, 365 times in the Bible it says, fear not. Fear not, fear what? Hey, by the way, if you don't understand it, fear not. Should that take away our fear? Should that take away our anxiety? We're talking about some of these other scripture here in, in a moment on with anxiety, but that fear, fear not. If we believe on what God does, especially then even in Genesis 1, can you imagine speaking something into existence? I can't get my brain around that. But the God who created the universe, do we really see and think, like, oh, hey, God, yeah, I believe that, but I don't believe that you can or are in control of my circumstances or you can overcome that. That's wrong thinking, right? The God of the universe is sovereign and control over everything. So when he says, fear not, I'm like, hey, fear, I got your back. I got this. I got this. Allow me to work, and you will see, eventually, you know, I'll reveal <clears throat> my glory to you. All right, fear of God. As I had mentioned, <clears throat> the next one, no anxiety. We know Philippians 4, 6, and 7. So when we think of some of this scripture is when we're going through these trials and circumstances and tribulations, are we reminding ourselves of these biblical truths? Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer, everything by prayer and supplication, let, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Matthew 6, 25 to 27. Continues through verse 34, but I'm just going to read those two verses, three verses. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They are neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life, to his span of life? Here's another hard one, biblical response. Rejoice. Do you rejoice when cedar is high? Do you rejoice when it's 110 degrees outside? I'm telling you, it's hard. I first to confess that. But 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Patience. Lord, I pray for patience and I want it now. Romans 12.12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So that is how we need to be responding, not impatient. Waiting is especially hard when disaster looms overhead, a deadline presses in, or a situation threatens our hope. When disaster looms, it's tempting to give up waiting, take control, and do it our way and not God's. Well, there's fruit to that, but as a result, waiting becomes a litmus test that reveals whom and what we fear. Who or what controls us? God didn't part the Red Sea until the last minute after the Egyptians had the Israelites surrounded and all hope seemed lost. But Psalm 25, verses 2 and 3, O oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Another one, Obedience. Deuteronomy 5.33, you shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you and that you may live and that may go well with you and that you may live long in the land which you shall possess. So what are perhaps some other ways that we can be responding in a biblical way? Encouraging you know, others. Very good, Martha. Yeah. Laura? Um, I thought about, you know, the often advice that earlier 
again, would be a good first for that. Um, trusting God um, in the midst of it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and not on your own understanding. And then um, having peace. Um, Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Contentment, peace, trust in God. Good. Thank you. Psalms 112, 7 says he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. His heart is steady, and he will not be afraid. Not be afraid, steady, according to Psalms 112. Good. Thank you, Kathy. Okay, continuing on. <clears throat> Make sure that I finish on time. All right, so six ways that we can respond when trials appear. First, like John 16, 33, expect it, all right? Expect suffering. Each time a hardship enters our lives, we're reminded that this world is not our home. We're broken people living in a broken, sin-filled world. If we try to make our lives into a heaven on earth, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Number two, know God's word. Fight the fight of faith by studying, meditating on, and treasuring the promises of God's Word. A closed Bible will yield little hope or strength for our journey. Arm yourselves with the sword of the Spirit to fight the battle well, for our battle is spiritual and requires weapons of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, scripture reference there. Pray for perseverance, number three. Pray for perseverance. Call upon the only one who can sustain you with grace in the midst of your difficulty. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's Ephesians 6, verse 18. Number four, be committed to a body of believers. God does not mean for us to endure suffering on our own. When the Israelites were fighting Amalek, they were only victorious as long as Moses was raising up his arms. But he grew weary in the battle and needed the help of Aaron and Hur to hold up his arms when he lost strength. Scripture reference there is Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13. So who will come to your aid when the going gets rough? We're called to do the one another's. Everyone's here at church and committed not only to adult Bible study, but fellowship groups, to praying, to serving, to ministering to one another. It's doing the one another's in so many capacities and how that we can and should be doing that. I can't tell you the number of times that I've received encouraging text messages from people. Hey, brother, how are you doing? Been praying for you. It's a huge encouragement when you're going through a trial like that. Just that little quick message or coming up to them after church or a meal, you name it, the one another's and how we can do that. Meditate on that. Think how you can do that. And so when we're focusing on others, what's the opposite of that? Focusing on yourself, right? And so it could be a pity party and fear, anxiety, everything else. But when you're focusing on other people, what happens? I was saying, like, wow, that person has a greater problem than I do. Yeah, mine isn't so bad. When you have this focus off of self and you put that on others, you then are becoming selfless. And that is encouraging to other people, but again, is glorifying the Lord. Look for reasons to rejoice. Number five. Okay, so our natural reaction to be suffering is to feel sorry for ourselves and complain. But when we catch ourselves heading down that downward spiral, we can combat it with making a simple list of five things to be grateful for. That's just a random number. Oh, my spouse never does this. You know, or, okay, well, list five things on a daily basis. What are you thankful for for your spouse? What are you thankful for for, you know, the weather? I mean, fill in the blank. What are these things that we can be grateful for? Remember, God's blessings can help us keep the right perspective and even in the midst of our hardships. And number six, keep doing good. Suffering, as I described this in a moment ago, it can make us self-absorbed. 
We might tend to think that no one's lot is as difficult as our own, but what did Peter do? He exhorted us that in the midst of our trial, we need to stay others-focused. In 1 Peter 4.19, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Suffering does not exempt us from doing good for others. We need to keep reaching out, keep praying for others, keep looking for ways to bless and encourage someone in the midst of their difficult time. And remember also, rejoice in hard things. So maybe you're blessed right now to be in a sunny sunny season of life, maybe far from trials. But you will get them. And what God has said in 1633, Jesus said, you, you will have those. But if you are experiencing no trials, be grateful and praise the Lord that you're, you're not right now. But also know that those trials are going to enter one day in your life. You know, the very means God uses to mold us to his image. So whether you're facing trials now or preparing for the trials that will eventually come, rejoice knowing that through every hard thing we suffer in life, we share with Christ. When we're praying in God's word and truth, it leaves little room for sinful response because we're surrounded and in the depths of biblical truth. So as we can be anxious about a lot of things, another reminder of Scripture, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I had mentioned Philippians 4, 6 through 8, be not anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So what is the rest of the story of Horatio Spafford? Let me share. He and his wife left their Presbyterian church after embracing unorthodox beliefs, including denying the reality of an eternal hell and accepting a doctrine of universalism. And that is, oh, well, all people will go to heaven. They created their own church, gathering a small group of believers that came to be known as the Overcomers. In September 1881, the group of 20 journeyed to Israel and established a commune known as the American Colony. They served the poor, the sick, the homeless in the name of Jesus, yet many of the group's practices and beliefs did not reflect on the Lord's teachings. The group built a luxury hotel in East Jerusalem called the American Colony. The hotel still stands today and is still owned by the descendants of the Spaffords. He died seven years later and his wife 37 years after him. So if we don't remain on the journey and be steadfast and aligned exactly with what God's word and his truth is and being obedient to that, Remember, Satan wants to take you, not with a, with a two-by-four, he wants to subtly pull you away, and that could be that two degrees off course, and over time, time continuum, you're going to be way off course. But being aligned through north to God, is that is where and how with those trials that Horatio Spafford and his wife had experienced, they became wayward, and you see with the results years later. Be not Horatio Spafford. In closing, Jesus told us we're going to have trials and tribulations here on earth. <clears throat> Peace can come in all forms or fashions, great or small. But the question is, when do we face them, or when we do face them, how are we going to approach them? In a biblical way? Let's think about the examples throughout the Bible and how Scripture calls us to respond in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Remember, this is part of our sanctification process as we continue to conform to his image. Meditate on the scripture, examine our hearts, and how we respond in a variety of ways when we do face trials. Acknowledge how you may be sinning and confess that sin. Perhaps with a brother or sister, spouse, discuss with a fellow believer with how you may be struggling in these ways and, and pray and encourage one another. So my prayer is that this lesson, through this lesson, you can come to expect these trials and tribulations, but the Lord is doing it all for our good. Remember, respond in a way that is pleasing to Him.
Let me pray. Lord, thank you that uh, we, we believe and we worship a sovereign God. Lord, we know that all things work together for our good, for those that are in him. Lord, for any that don't know you and are not in you and are experiencing trials and tribulations, Lord, that there is hope. It is through that hope of only and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you uh, have given us more than sufficient grace. You have given us abundant grace. Lord, thank you for loving us. Lord, as we uh, respond, I pray that we all respond in a biblical way that is honoring and pleasing to you. You didn't ask us to have fear. You didn't, have, you didn't tell us to have anxiety, but to trust you. Lord, help us to grow in our faith and again in that deeper image of you so we can be conformed to that, to our wonderful Savior, Christ Jesus. And in these things we pray, amen.